Hi everybody and welcome to the 50th episode of the Desi VC podcast. This is a moment that I've been waiting for for quite some time now and I can't believe that it's finally happening. And before I proceed and introduce my guest today, I wanted to take a moment to recognize each and every one of you who has helped me get this far. It wouldn't have been possible without all your love and support and more importantly, the feedback that you've been providing me across all the episodes to help me make this podcast an even better content platform bringing together the best insights about the VC industry in India. Thank you so much and I'm really really grateful for having you as a listener. Well today you can almost hear the excitement and spring in my voice. And yes, that is pun intended, not simply because this is the 50th episode, but also because I have a very good friend sitting across the table from me today in Raja Ganapati of Spring Marketing Capital. Raja along with his co-partners has introduced something called a skin in the game marketing capital which we have never heard before within the Indian VC context and more importantly today we're going to spend time understanding and deconstructing how spring marketing capital is disrupting the VC space through their unique value proposition in how they've structured the fund spring marketing has worked with stellar brands across the country some of which are even household names such as Baiju, Epigamia, Curefit, Wakefit and Practo among the others that they have in their portfolio. Raja himself brings decades of experience working in advertising and marketing having spent time previously at Ogilvy, Deutsche Bank and Sequoia India where he was previously the CMO. So join me over the next 45 minutes or so as we try and understand how founders of today are building the startups of tomorrow. by putting branding marketing and narrative at the core of what they're building so without further ado here is your 50th episode Raja we've been discussing to sit down and talk for a long time and I'm so so thrilled to have you for the 50th episode it really means a lot and I'm grateful for having you here today Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, thank you, Akash. Uh, equally thrilled and honored to be part of your milestone, uh, um, and looking forward to many, many more podcasts from you. So, really happy to be here and happy to be chatting with you. Fantastic! I want to go right off the bat and ask a similar question that I've been asking most of the guests on my podcast. What have you learned from the difficult period that we've been through in twenty twenty and with the second wave in twenty twenty one? It's been such a Roller coaster ride for all VCs in the country, and specifically the ones who've been operating at Series A and beyond. So, what have been your learnings, and what can you share with us, especially from both a portfolio perspective, and more importantly, with the conversations that you've perhaps had with your LPs as well? Yeah. So, I think uh, firstly, I would say a life lesson, and then a business lesson. Um, I think a life lesson which most of us have learned, and I go around. speaking to friends speaking to founders speaking to investors i think we've all learned to rejig our priorities a little bit um i think overall in life we've kind of understood in the last 18 odd months what really really matters when it comes down to it um you know i think uh, i really hope that some of these priorities will stay so speaking for myself i've really enjoyed spending more time with my family uh, my daughter left for um, uh, for education abroad early this year so i got a chance to spend an extra 6 months with her unexpectedly back in mumbai and i really value that extra time 
um, I value the lack of commute. I value the lack of um, unnecessary travel. Uh, I value the efficiency that Zoom meetings bring to the table. So I would like some of these, you know, it's allowed me to reprioritize things like my own health, um, spend more time doing what I like doing, which is reading, which is watching television. Uh, recently, I read an article that said, I think this crisis has taught us that we don't have to wait for a point of time to focus on what we really like to do. Uh, we can do it every day of our lives. And I, I really resonated with me. Uh, I feel like that's, that's one big learning for me on the life side. And on the business side, I think it's again kind of taught me as a founder um, to focus on what really matters from a business point of view. I think focus is one big learning from the last 18 months. Uh, and the second learning is persistence. Uh, when the pandemic first happened, we were about to start raising a fund, um, you know, and then it hit us like at the same month that we started speaking to potential LPs and it was a disaster. Right? We were trying to raise a unique first time, one of a kind fund in the middle of uh, what was turning out to be the worst pandemic in human history. And I learned that just by being focused on what we are building, uh, and by being persistent about it, we could still uh, come out on the other side, uh, you know, reasonably unscathed, if I may say. So I think everybody is skated to some extent, but we came out, uh, we managed a fund, we managed investments, uh, we managed a hustling, bustling consulting firm. So it's possible to do all of that. And I think just, just being focused on what you do and by being persistent about it. I think in the ordinary pre-COVID world, there were so many distractions uh, there were so many ideas that you kept grasping after. I just feel like founders have hopefully learned the value of focus and persistence. So long answer to your question, but yeah, that's the that's the twin learnings for me. No, it's fantastic. I love to hear this because with every person that I speak to and every VC that I have a conversation with, the answers are always different and the learnings are always different. And in your case, it was more about persistence and perseverance both from a fundraising perspective as well as a portfolio on the portfolio side. Now, while you've endured this period and successfully come out on the other side, you've continued to raise funds all throughout, how difficult was it to have conversations with your existing LPs and then going and pitching to the next round of LPs and telling them about the larger vision for the fund and what you had in store? Did the appetite of the LPs increase, decrease, or was it the same? Or how different was it from the first time that you spoke to LPs to the second time you did when you were fundraising as recently as six months ago? Yeah, no, that's a good question because I think when we first began the fundraise, uh, we spoke to potential investors. We bounced the idea of a marketing value-added fund, which would um, try and break into hard to break into D2C plans in series A and series B. I mean, in a nutshell, that's our offer. And uh, I think pre-COVID, that one month that we had, which we didn't know that that's, that's a month at that point, there was tremendous excitement and there was a lot of support. Uh, folks said, this is a great idea. This is highly required. Founders will love it. Uh, you know, you have us as, a support, as uh, your early supporter. I think pandemic robbed us of a couple of months. We just didn't know what to do. Uh, what really helped us was our anchor, World Invest. As you probably know, World Invest is one of the biggest consumer-focused investors globally. Uh, they have they were doubling down in India during the same period and felt that to make consumer investments more valuable, 
uh, they needed the support of a marketing partner like us. And that was fabulous meetings of mine, uh, meeting of minds. They're coming on board really helped kind of give us credibility and get us off the ground. And they were also, because of their global overview, uh, because they were seeing the pandemic all over the world, um, I think they could tell us early on that, look, this is not something that's going to go away in a, in a few months. This is here to stay. Just having a global strong partner like that made a huge difference to us because uh, we realized that, you know, just waiting for the pandemic to go away is not going to help. Uh, we will have to get back on the road. We'll have to raise funds. We'll have to do a first close. Uh, we have to carry on with the business of investing. Um, and we believe that it would become easier and actually it became easier. So I think the difficult period was the first six months. A lot of it is to do with self-belief. Uh, given what happened with the pandemic, you know, we were shaken a little bit. We were actually wondering if we are doing the right thing. Are we in the right market? Um, and I think it's just a shock of the first wave. Uh, post that, we could, when we got to our first close, I think we got a lot more confident. We got a lot more secure. Uh, it's actually been easier since then. I think it's, uh, and this is what I would say to any, uh, you know, first-time fund, especially if it's a unique product like ours. Uh, getting your first set of supporters is absolute gold. You know, you have to get the first set of people who matter. The the remaining will come. You know, you will raise money eventually if your if your idea is strong and if your credibility is strong. Uh, but I think getting those first early supporters makes a difference. And here I have a lot of gratitude for you know early investors, early founders who knew us, who backed us just on the back of who we are our prior experience and the strength of our idea. Um, and, you know, I think there was a, I remember seeing an ad long time back saying, you remember the first man on the moon? Do you remember the second? It's a little bit like that. You know, we will always remember our first set of supporters. Uh, they're very close to us. They're, uh, you know, they're the people who allowed us to get an idea off the ground. And this is no different from a company, right? You speak to a founder, um, she will tell you that, I will never forget that first check that I got because that believer uh, actually believed in me when there was nothing on the ground. Gives you uh, a lot of confidence. Get, yeah, absolutely. It gives you a lot of confidence. It gives you credibility. And then once you start building, it's a lot easier for you to attract people. I tell you a very funny incident that happened. Uh, I think it's again just because of the pandemic, right? So my partner Arun and I were post the second wave and before the second, uh, sorry, post the first wave and before the second, uh, there was a little bit of a gap in India where it looked as if, you know, it's all okay and we've beaten the virus. Unfortunately, we got lulled into it. Um, so we had caught up in an outdoor cafe. We were having a glass of wine. It's the first time we were meeting after many, many months. Um, and the, the, the restaurant was part of a complex, which also has uh, uh, residential housing. And uh, there's a car that stopped by, a uh, guy got down, he was going towards the houses. And then he saw us, came over and looked at me and said, are you Raja? I said, yes. Uh, he said, hi, I'm an LP in your fund. And it was incredible because we had never met. You know, everything had happened on Zoom. Wow. And sometimes people look a little different, right, in real life. So right. uh, we, we just said, please sit down and have a glass of wine with us. It was an amazing moment for me. Uh, and then you actually realize that at least 50% of the investors, maybe more, we've never met in our life uh, right. physically. You know, it's all been Zoom meetings. It's all happened. Um, I would say a lot of it has happened because of the fact that the Indian ecosystem has evolved. 
know, I've been part of the venture ecosystem for almost 15 years. And what I realized today is this, there is success today. And with success comes security and confidence. And after that, just like it happens in the Valley, people are willing to pay back. So, you know, founders, investors who had good relationships with you, who have benefited from you in the past, or have had a good partnership. Yeah, they, they want to pay back. They say, look, I will, I'll make a warm introduction to you. I'll, I'll put you on the summer. I'll tell this person, you have to back Raja. Right. And I have seen that happening a lot in the last couple of years. Um, and I would point to that saying that's one big reason uh, why we, you know, why we are where we are today. It's the goodwill, right? I mean, that kind of like comes back to you in many forms. And I loved so many things that you mentioned in that segment. But one thing that really stood out to me, Raja, in that segment was how you spoke about balancing the need to bring money, but also bring in the right set of people who will really add value, credibility, and more importantly, bring the next set of investors or people who will continue working with you. Now, a lot of emerging fund managers end up listening to the podcast or I have end up having conversations with them. Based on your experience, how do you balance that need? Because money gives you confidence, but the right set of people will keep bringing in compound with goodwill and will keep getting you the right set of people that you want to build your fund, especially from a future perspective. So how do you balance that out and what is difficult or easy for you to do as a first-time fund manager who's not done this before? And today, a lot of first-time fund managers are also building funds as if it was a startup. They haven't been operators before either. So this is almost like an entrepreneurial journey for them as a fund manager. So what kind of insights would you provide them based on your own experience of having gone through this whole process yourself? Yeah, no, I feel that you're absolutely right. I mean, for, for me... I look at myself as a founder and not a VC, uh, and I hope that I'll always remain a founder. I, you know, everything that we've done, we've done with an entrepreneurial set set of mind. Um, so to come back to your main question, I think my learning, and maybe it's maybe it's peculiar to us or maybe not, uh, my learning is people over money any day and every day. Um, you know, one of my inspirations was uh, what Y Combinator has achieved in uh, in the US. And my learning over the last few years from, of course, slightly different market and a slightly different model. Uh, but one thing I really learned from them is that for a, for they say, right, for a company to succeed, you need a village. You actually need three distinct uh, commodities, if I may say so. One is capital, second is expertise, and third is community. And I feel that YC got all of that, right? And that's what we've tried to do. You know, a lot of what we are doing is actually a little bit inspired by them, a little bit ambitious about wanting to build a YC of consumer in India. So we were very, very clear from the beginning that we wanted people who have distinct, deep experience in the consumer space. Uh, so to be honest with you, rather than go after the big bucks, um, I think we actually went after individuals who would add credibility to our fund, uh, who would also be able to guide us and mentor us as we build a portfolio and help the portfolio as well. Um, and I think that has really paid off. It's a little more hard work. Um, it's, a, it's, a bit more, it's a bit more of a grind. Uh, but I think it's really paid off because the bigger money is kind of back-ended. It comes later in the fund cycle for us. Right. A lot of fund managers do the opposite. They go after the big institutions and then say, okay, now I want a bunch of individuals in my fund. Um, I think we've gone this way and I really like what we've done. 
if I have to do it again, I would do the same thing all over again. I would just make sure that we have extremely high quality individuals. So today we have uh, GPs from 10 different VC and PE firms. Uh, we have founders of consumer companies. Uh, we have CEOs and CMOs of uh, very large consumer companies. We have ma marketing consultants, we have management consultants. Uh, we have advertising filmmakers. We have celebrity marketing agency. We have, we have kind of spanned the spectrum of people who will actually make a consumer business succeed in the future. And we now have access to all of those people. So I always feel it's, you know, go after the right people, make sure you have great individuals. Um, actually, recently I was talking to a founder and sharing this experience. And he decided to do something interesting. He was raising around and he said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to add 10 angel checks to this. I'm going to actually make a list of 10 people that I want who I think can help me in my fun, in my company in the future. And I'm going to actually go pitch to them and get them into the fund, into the company. And I thought that's an interesting way of looking at it. Uh, you know, and he just took this experience and made it relevant for himself. But um, I, I, I would say that that really worked for us going after individuals who bring credibility, but can also provide significant value add as we build our portfolio. That's fantastic. And now one thing that I want to understand here is what is in it for them beyond return of capital and making money on this? What kind of incentives did they set for themselves or goals when they started started thinking about it, about, about this from an LP perspective? Like when you had those initial conversations with your initial set of investors from fund one and the investors from fund two, what's been their appetite? Why do they want to be part of this unique journey? It's a great structure. It's unique structure. But what is it that motivates them the most to be part of this journey with you? Yeah. So again, that's interesting uh, because I've thought about this, you know, saying finally what works for them. And this is my hypothesis. Some of them have told me this. some of this I kind of have surmised. I feel that one, look, everybody today wants to be a part of the startup ecosystem, right? right. You could be CEO of a, a multi-billion dollar company. You could be CMO with a very large marketing budget, you know, but you still want to be associated from the startup industry for multiple reasons. Right. One, there's a lot of action there. There's a lot of innovation happening there. You want to learn. And you also believe that you can give something back. So some, many of these folks have written and do write angel checks, but they realize that, you know, that has its limitations, right? You write an angel check, you write a few angel checks. Some of them have lost track. Uh, they don't know really, you know, they, now you own a small percentage of that company. You don't know how to add value. On an ordinary basis, the founder is caught up with operations. Plus, startups have a high mortality rate. So, you really don't know if, you know, you don't have any structure to pick these companies. Right. So, one founder who invested in us, uh, he actually said yes after, after a 30-minute meeting. It was a warm introduction. He didn't know us before. He heard the story. He said, I love it. Um, and he just came on board. And he came on board because he said, I'm really, really excited about the D2C space in India. I want to be involved. I want to be a part of that ecosystem. I think I have something to give, but I have lots to take. But I want you, I want to be introduced to that ecosystem in a curated manner. He said, I get a lot of founders who reach out to me and I don't have the bandwidth right. uh, to figure out who I should be working with. Should I write an angel check? If you uh, are building a 15, 20 D, uh, you know, D2C brand portfolio, then I will expect you to tell me, you know what, you should talk to these two founders. 
because of your experience and because of what they are building. Right. Uh, once you do that in a curated manner, I'm happy to get involved, happy to chat with these founders. And who knows what that leads to, you know. At the very least, all of us are going to learn from each other. Right. One level up, if there is interest on both sides, maybe I can directly invest into the company. And who knows, eventually I might just go on to sit on the board of this company. So right. uh, the ambition really is to learn, to be a part of that ecosystem. And I think being part of the Spring Fund allows them to do so in a curated manner versus being faced with the universe of startups. Is it fair to summarize this by saying it's sort of an accelerated venture studio model, but only for LPs, wherein they are getting an opportunity beyond the capital returns to then have an, to have a chance to work with not just the companies in the portfolio, but even the ones that you're like looking at it from a day-to-day -day basis, but then may not end up in, in investing for different reasons. So it's an opportunity for them to look at it and be like, you know what? Yeah, uh, the fund didn't invest in it, but there's an opportunity for us to take a look at it from whatever that they're doing, right? It could be if you're an advertiser, it's a chance for you to work with a company. It's a chance for you to use them as a client. If you're a corporate, it's a chance for you to like then look at them from a biz dev and a partnership perspective and so on and so forth. Is it fair enough to like summarize it from that perspective or is it, is it not? I quite like that line. I think I'll steal it from you. Um, you know, it's an interesting perspective. I would say... Yes, it is an opportunity for the LP to, like I said, you know, in my head, I see it as being able to have a curated interaction with a small bunch of founders where you can learn from each other. Um, what that leads to could be different in every situation. Recently, you know, we have, uh, I'll just give you an example, right? Uh, we are, uh, uh, the one, of, one of the investments that we are considering now is a, is a youth-focused lifestyle brand. Right. And uh, one of our LPs happens to be the a managing director of a very, very large uh, lifestyle brand in the region. Uh, mm -hmm. He's actually MD for five regions, including me. Now, uh, when I was looking at this brand, I had the opportunity to reach out to him, uh, do a call. You know, he knew everything about this category. He knew the brand. Uh, he knew the founder. He knew the management team. Uh, like he told me, I've actually lost a few of my team members who've gone and joined that young startup. Um, he so we could pick his brains and he ended the call by saying hey if you do decide to make this investment uh, you know let me know I'm happy to be involved in whichever way I can I just feel this level it's, it's a little bit of expertise it's a little bit of domain knowledge it's a little bit of being able to value at post investment um, and it's a little bit of the LP also remaining engaged in a very curated way and you said it right I mean it's not just the com 20 companies that we'll end up investing. It's probably the 100 companies that we will end up taking a closer look at right. over the next three years. Because potentially, we may not invest in a company, but we might want to stay in touch. And one of the ways of staying in touch is to check with one of our LPs saying, hey, do you want a warm introduction? Do you want to, yeah. you know, do you want to have a conversation with this company? Yeah. I just feel that, uh, I just feel that, you know, in many ways, I feel that Spring is a platform. It's not a fund. It's not just a fund. It's not just a consulting business. It's actually a platform. And the platform has different stakeholders who are part of it. So there are our LPs who come from different parts of the consumer spectrum. There are founders that we invest into. There are founders that we consult with. And then there are founders that we know we work with. Uh, there are influencers. There are uh, you know different parts of the marketing spectrum that's available to us. And I just believe that 
we have not even unlocked 1% of what we can unlock as a platform by just being in the middle of this ecosystem uh, i just feel we are we have a huge opportunity ahead of us and it's up to us to connect the dots and make the whole much larger than the sum of the parts i mean the underlying theme here that i'm taking away which i think a lot of listeners should also is creating goodwill and you know what you're basically telling us is that a lot of goodwill has come back to you both from an lp perspective from a founder perspective and the ones that you don't end up investing in have gone on to like speak very highly of the kind of work that you've been doing and more importantly um there's an opportunity for you to continue to stay with stay in touch with them that brings me back to the question that i wanted to ask you from a long long time even you know when when we first connected you along with your partners have put together this most unique structure that you've seen from a fund perspective uh within the india context you've clubbed together marketing creative and experience into a box along with capital now where did this begin and how did that come about like what prompted you and your partners to come up with this idea i get the fact that you know you've been in advertising you've kind of had this sort of marketing experience and i don't want to go too much into your background because it's available across many podcasts and you've spoken about it um you know numerous times but what i'm really curious and digging deeper into is how did you iterate multiple times before landing upon where you are today in terms of the value add of spring marketing capital and how has that evolution come about and how have you evolved along with the evolution of the thesis yourselves so akash i would say that much of this i owe uh, to my stint at sequoia uh, the 10 and a half years in sequoia was quite uh, life defining and life changing if i may say so uh, sequoia is also an amazing platform um, large very focused on what they do uh, very philosophically sound uh you know as a as a brand and a business and i think that really helped me because during that period there was also a lot of self discovery that happened um uh, you know i ended up working with a whole host of founders and amazing folks right from byju to fasos to uh 1mg to healthcart uh, truecaller i can go on some vini cosmetics just some amazing founders that you ended up coming in contact with uh i think that what it resulted in was a following right one it kind of pushed you into wanting to do something entrepreneurial yourself uh it was almost like look at all these people look at the value they are creating you know you want you wanted to do something with your life yourself so that was one second is i think at least i discovered that working with founders is uh, is just an amazing joy i mean they are quick they are decisive they are trying to uh, make a dent in the world uh they are not taking the you know the common path uh, so it's there's a lot of excitement in that space a third is it looked like from a d2c perspective india was on the cusp of something big and that's kind of playing out in the last couple of years and maybe covid has accelerated it a uh, fourth is a huge gap that we perceived in the market where when a founder raises a series a or a series b and a founder of a consumer company um they need to build a brand and we saw a huge gap in that market from a resourcing point of view um that really was a starting point this is how i met my two partners arun and vineet uh we started working on a bunch of companies together uh that's how we kind of started speaking to each other and with these four common themes uh, we wanted to build something for ourselves now the actual idea 
happened over a long period of time. I would say the final structure happened maybe a year later. We knew we wanted to do something in this space, but how to monetize it, how to make it worth our while, how to be able to create wealth for the people who are going to work with us, that was not immediately clear. Uh, we knew we had to do it. We didn't know how to do it. Uh, but a lot, a lot of it came from focus. You know, we need my third partner who's actually from a very different field. He built a digital marketing agency called 22 Feet. He sold it to the Omnicom group. So no prior experience in investing or in VC. Uh, he's the one who, you know, kind of was very razor sharp on our focus on founders. And that, so I think each of these steps kind of allowed us to narrow the model down. Uh, and finally, we realized that what we were trying to do doesn't exist anywhere in the world. We right. spent some time in the Valley. We spent some time in Singapore. We met services firms, legal firms, advertising firms who've tried some variation of this, you know, equity for uh, services and stuff like that. But most of them have not been successful. So we finally had to, we realized that there was nothing to borrow from. So we had to sit down and invent it ourselves. Which is even why even our even our descriptor, right? Marketing capital is an invented word. That word doesn't exist. Right. Uh, so we call ourselves Spring Marketing Capital because we didn't know what else to call ourselves. Uh, you know, and hence I think it's a little bit of finding a gap. It's a little bit of finding what you want to do in life, uh, and then it's a little bit of invention, uh, mainly born out of necessity, since there was nothing to borrow from. That's a fantastic story and journey and view that kind of encaptures the whole genesis of the fund and what it is today. Um, reminds me of the beautiful quote that Steve Jobs once had mentioned at an MIT class where he was talking to a group of students and he asked them, how many here today are consultants? And um, a bunch of people end up raising their hands. And he says, I don't, this, this, is, this is really a red flag for me because without really owning something yourselves over an extended period of time, it's very difficult um, for you to really have accountability where one has a chance to take responsibility for one's own actions and recommendations, right? So from when you take a look at it from a consultancy standpoint, you're only recommending, you're not really owning the outcome of it. Now with Spring, there's consulting involved, there's marketing involved, there's skin in the game as you previously mentioned. And that is something to think about in today's, today's world being fleetingly involved in something which guarantees exclusion and you learn very little if not you know I, I wouldn't say nothing because you don't own the outcome it's very hard to really end up adding value we've heard vcs talk about skin in the game investing and with your firm it's a step further with skin in the game marketing and the kind of people that you bring into the picture as well my question to you isn't about why skin in the game marketing is important because I believe we have a fair understanding of what that is. But instead, what I would like to put forth to you is what are the challenges of it? You know, it's easier said than done to have someone buy into the long-term vision and invest beyond capital and almost becoming part of that journey. So when you're talking to people, when you're talking to the celebrities that you work with, when you're bringing people on board, there's a whole lot of handholding that's involved, I presume. So during your time investing and working with the kind of people that you do on a day-to-day -day basis with your portfolio as well, what have you learned about implementing this thesis and how hard is it to 
one for you to do it forget about replicating this from you know from somebody else's perspective but for you to continue to go back and do this and handhold um everybody through the process it must be your challenge so what have you learned doing so and if you could share that with our listeners that'd be fantastic yeah i think uh, one of the challenges of doing this is because every time we're doing it it's a, it's a new it's a new day uh, it's a new founder Right. Uh, a founder who's never done this before, more often than not. Yeah. Uh, and it's and for every founder, this is their world, right? Right. Uh, they, you know, they live and die by what they're building. Uh, so there's nothing more precious, more important than what they have built. Yep. Um, as a result of all of this, for example, I contrast this with an advertising agency or a consulting firm which works with large companies. Yeah. They have their own set of challenges, but to some extent, there is a certain system and a certain frameworking. Uh, which is what a lot of consulting firms are also derided for, uh, but there is a certain uh, pattern to their work on a on a regular basis that kind of carries the organization forward, for good or for bad. Now, in the, our case, we do a lot of work trying to find those patterns, but we still have to remember that every single founder, every single business is unique. If it was not, they won't come to us. You know, twenty years back, when I used to work in advertising, uh, when I used to work on on soaps or shampoos, every product is the same. And marketing is important because brand and marketing is what differentiates the product for the consumer. Yeah. So writing that consumer proposition in a manner which is differentiated is the bigger challenge. Creating the product is a smaller challenge. Mm. Today, it's completely reversed. Every product that we work with at Spring, every one of them is unique. Right. There is hardly a Me Too product. There is hardly a product that does not have something unique about it. The challenge in marketing is how do you tell the story? How do you narrate the story? How do you create a brand world that helps this brand create moats around its business? Mm. How does it improve the engagement with the consumers from a long-term perspective? How do you create brand love for the for the company? How do you ensure that it goes two, three steps ahead of competition, which is probably attacking a similar space? And I feel that in our case, you know, because of all these reasons. Uh, it almost as if it's day zero every single time we speak to a founder. You know, uh, it's almost like we have to tell them, "Look, this is a category we've never worked with for the simple reason that the category possibly did not exist two years back." You know, so it's new learnings almost on a daily basis, uh, which also means that one of the biggest ingredients for a successful relationship is trust on both sides. We have to trust the founder uh, that he or she knows what. They are doing as far as the product and the business is concerned, and they have to trust us uh, to know that we know what we are doing from a brand perspective. I think the best relationships we have built, the most long-term relationships, have been built on the back of trust, mutual trust, uh, and a mutual partnership. So one of the things I always insist on whenever we take on a new relationship is that the founder has to be a part of the initial thinking. Right. So if the founder and this is you know, no, no offense to marketing teams and stuff like that. We work with a lot of marketing teams, but in that initial stage, when you are devising the brand strategy, when you are thinking through what differentiates this brand, the founder is not involved, then we are missing a very key ingredient of the thinking process, which is the brand purpose and the brand philosophy. Many times, what distinguishes one company from other in today's world, especially in B two C, is what does the founder think? What do they believe in? What is her vision for the product? 
Yeah. Why is she doing what is she what she's doing? What's the pain point? What's the long term goal? The answers to these questions can sometimes give us a very different interpretation to what the brand should stand for. Um, so I do feel that the involvement of founders is important, which means that the relationship between the founder and us needs to be strong in order for us to help build a long term brand. Uh, so this is your right. It's difficult and challenging. Like I said, every business has its own difficulty and challenges. Our challenge is that every day is a new day. Every assignment is really unique. Uh, you know, we have to start from ground zero every single time, and the relationship needs to be built very strongly on trust. Uh, we have failed in the past when the trust gets broken, uh, when the relationship becomes more transactional. Um, and then I always feel I look at the other side and say, you know, anybody can do this work. Uh, and I, you know, I don't mean it in an arrogant way, but you don't need us. So if you just want to do a campaign and get on the television in the next four weeks, there are a million people who can do that campaign for you. Right. You want to come to us when you say, "I want to build a category-leading brand, uh, which tests time and lasts for the next five to ten years at right. a very minimum." That's the kind of thing that gets our gets us excited. That's the kind of thing that's worth doing. Which is why you know, going back to our model, that's why skin in the game made a lot of sense uh, because if you look at it, right? Today, Arun and I have worked with Byju's for the last six years, mm -hmm. from June 15 till today. Now it's six plus years, seventh year running, mm -hmm. and everything to do with brand and marketing has happened with us in the room. Byju's acquires something. The first call comes to us. We all get into a huddle and we think about how that new brand and new business can be integrated into the Byju's architecture. Right. A new product development goes on. We are involved. Uh, you know, and how to position this product, how to launch it, you know, becomes an integral part of the discussion. And I feel that that trust, that partnership is big, is strong simply because both sides recognize the value that each each of us brings to the table. And, you know, that gets amplified in a long term relationship. So to me, you know, I would say um, our challenge is to not get distracted by transactional assignments. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, keep focused on the long term, uh, be more skin in the game. Even the consulting work we do, um, you know, when we are involved for more than a couple of years, it becomes far more meaningful. Example, Wakefit. Uh, it's a third year of relationship. Wakefit right. was one of five or six companies, online mattress companies like Casper in the US uh, that, that raised money uh, in the same vintage about three years back. Today, I would wager Wakefit is head and shoulders about everybody else in that category. And I don't even know if a second company has got uh, funded again. Uh, you know, they're so strong as a brand and business. And we now, we are in the third year of engagement, very strong relationship between the teams, which has allowed us to create content and create communication that has really turned the category on its head. And today the brand has grown from the time that I first met them. Uh, in 30 months, the brand has grown a 10x on, uh, no, what, 8x on monthly top line uh, with no zero advertising spend. Oh, okay. They have zero mass media advertising spend. They've been only on digital uh, and their primary weapon on digital has been content creation. Wow. And I do feel that this was possible because of a long-running relationship. Uh, it's a sign of the times that I'm talking about a three-year relationship, like a, yeah. like a long-running relationship. But I think if we continue to work together for the next three years, it will become stronger. And because there is so much strong understanding of the brand on both sides, 
recently they launched home furniture we had a lot you know we had a pretty healthy debate on how we should position home furniture uh, because they are they are very well known as an online mattress company and i believe those are the moments when a relationship uh, matters uh, when both sides are very aligned versus you know i i notice some companies i don't know if this happens in the us but then i notice some companies who hire agencies on a campaign basis right and I, like how daft is that i mean like you know uh, they run this pitch process they select an agency based on that campaign four months later they are in the market again i think about the amount of time and effort wasted i was like think about how i was let that was going yeah. to be my next question to you because i'm sensing a trend here the trend being that it's a long term engagement it's not something where you know you can pick an agency run a campaign go go back in look for another agency and try to do it has to be a long term engagement with somebody who is involved with you and somebody who gets you right who gets the brand who understands it because the previous campaign the next campaign and the one after that if they have three different narratives then you are scratching your head as a founder saying what is my brand here like what am i trying to build right yeah. and even from that perspective you work with byju's it's a seven year engagement or your seventh year engagement running right now how often do you bump into founders who have no understanding about branding no understanding about building a narrative and rightly so because they're probably coming from tech backgrounds and they're very astute when it comes to uh, the product but they don't really know how to like build a brand around it so again that's a great question i would say um, uh, i'd say akash that two or three answers to this question first is most founders in d2c especially today um, are engineers many from iits uh, most of them are superb high iq uh, they have discovered a great gap they have discovered a pain point they have built a great set of products uh they have discovered in, uh, digital distribution they have hacked their way to the first stage of growth they are right. super smart people most of them do not have marketing experience or knowledge uh and that's the way it is to us it's an opportunity because it's an opportunity to bring our expertise to the table what's the point of bringing marketing expertise to the table when the founder has phenomenal experience or expertise herself you know there's there's no value to add i think our investments are strongest when there is value to add for us right mm-hmm. we will never invest in a company where our brand expertise has no no role to play we are not financial in- investors we are not just we are not a vc mm-hmm. you know that's why marketing capital right our investment makes sense only if it's backed by our marketing expertise and experience so to us it's definitely a big yes uh, if the founder uh, does not have prior experience however what is important is a recognition by the founder that the building the brand is a next crucial step to their uh, to their growth right that's important the founder should believe that and part of the diligence we do is to make sure that we are on the same page with the founder mm-hmm. that we and the founder believe that the brand lever is very very crucial to accelerate growth in the future we will only invest in companies where this happens um and even on the consulting side we prefer to work with companies where the brand is important um you know and not just important the most critical factor that's going to govern how the business will perform in the next couple of years so i think the founder not having marketing experience or knowledge is not a problem in fact it's an opportunity for us uh, that's where our value is highest 
but definitely a shared belief that the brand lever is critical to press and get right uh, for future growth of the company. And this is something that today, even the VCs we work with, they recognize this, right? So for us, about 30 plus VCs today bring companies to us. And they bring these companies because they believe that this is the right stage for the brand to be built and the founder needs help. Founder needs that external expertise. Um, I just want to end this answer with just one more point, which is that, like I said, right? Having said all of this, for me, the best work happens when the founder is part of the discussion. Right. I said that before. I want to reiterate it. As much as our, um, you know, me and Arun have been part of every single brand and marketing discussion, Baiju himself has been a part of every discussion for the last six years. I know certain meetings that I was forced to miss uh, because I was on a flight or I was in a foreign country. Baiju has not missed a single brand meeting in six years. Mm. However incredible it sounds, he has taken meetings at 2 a.m. and 3 a.m. and 4 a.m. is time. Right. Uh, in whichever part of the world he is in. But he does not miss a brand or marketing meeting. Because he, for him, this is very crucial. It's a very crucial part of his business. He's in a consumer-facing business. He's the one who actually made education D2C, I would say. Right. He brought parents and children directly into the, into the education world. Uh, rather than you know, selling, the, selling it through middlemen. Or uh, you know, he kind of completely made it a direct relationship with the consumer and for that you have to build a brand for that you have to communicate for that your marketing engine has to be working um, and he recognizes that and it's important and he invests in that so to me i always insist uh, that the founder has to be a part of it because the founder's purpose and the philosophy can also make a huge difference to the brand and marketing world absolutely now what don't founders usually get when you have a conversation with them around branding? Because you mentioned being consumer focused, you mentioned, you know, trying to build out a brand. It's easy to say when you raise money, I will go hire a Shah Rukh Khan or go sponsor the Indian cricket team and then get a lot of visibility. But let's face it, more often than not, not everybody has that sort of a marketing budget to even get to that sort of a level and build that sort of a narrative. So when you're working with earlier stage companies at the series A level, what are the misconceptions that the founders come to the table with saying, now I've got money, now we'll figure out and get this brand messaging out there and I get customers and sales because of that. Like, I'm sure you've had these kind of conversations sometimes with founders or correct me if you haven't, I could be naive in assuming that. No, I think um, I would say at least all the, I mean, we have touched about 35 brands in the last two and a half years as spring uh, or 90% of them are startups. And we have, of course, met maybe three times as many founders before choosing to work with these 35. Yeah. I would say that of all the hundred odd founders that I would have spoken to in the last two and a half years, all of them are, you know, I think the good news is India today is creating a breed of super smart founders. Uh, you know, the... The rule is they're all super smart. They've built very interesting businesses. They've won the trust of the VC. Uh, you must also remember that we usually meet a founder when the PMF has happened. Right. Uh, so it's not, you know, it's not that early as well. Uh, they're all su super smart. Most of them are frugal. You know, they're not, uh, even if they have raised money, they want to be careful about how to spend it. Mm. I would say that they are asking some fundamental questions. You know, when should I spend this money? What's the right time? Where should I spend it? 
offline versus online how much how much of a journey does digital give me before i have to go offline mm. so uh, what does a celebrity celebrity give me most of them i think are asking all the right questions it's a, it's really finding the right partners for these founders who also answer these questions from a long term perspective mm-hmm. the biggest challenge i have noticed in the marketing world whether it's a cmo that you are hiring or it's a marketing agency is many times the agenda becomes short term right what can i do in the next 3 months what can i do in the next 6 months yeah and one of the biggest challenges is because marketing agencies still use the marketing budget as a method to decide their compensation you know i always say it's a bit like you paying your travel agency a percentage of your travel spent mm-hmm. you know you're never going to get efficiency in your life right because uh, they're going to be super focused on increasing their own revenues and i would say the founders hearts are in the right place they're asking the right questions they know the challenges facing them even if they haven't done this before instinctively they are in the right zone i think it's many times they go wrong because they find wrong partners uh, where the agenda is not equally long term and hence they lose their way occasionally yes a founder gets a little bit taken in by what's happening in the category right oh i want to do a campaign like cred oh i want to be like baiju yeah. oh i want a viral content piece like make fit yeah. and that happens occasionally you know we get those queries and so it's up to us to set them right and say hey you know you don't start with a viral campaign as a brief yeah. you know that's a that's a desire but it's not a brief uh, or that hiring a celebrity is a starting point it's not the it's not the end of the marketing journey right now i think that's a good segue into the next segment which i want to touch upon with you as well is you work with a lot of athletes and celebrities and people from the glamour side of the industry when you bring them to the table what have you identified as the motivations for them because we keep reading about name celebrities every now and then being an investor working very closely with early stage founders what have you seen in terms of the change that's come about and you and I we want to do a panel about this during the DCVC summit as well and get some athletes to really come and athletes and celebrities to come and talk about why are they getting into the into the game now and how are they diversifying their their wealth and by investing into venture capital what insights are you uncovering every day when you're speaking to people who are in different stages like for instance a Deepika Padukone's appetite is completely different from a Tanmay Bhatt and their brands are so different their reach is so different and the kind of companies they end up working with are so different so when you're also thinking about involving and bringing these people to the table along alongside you how are these conversations playing out and uh, what are some things that you keep in mind while you're thinking about working with them yeah i think uh, i would say that you know india is a little behind the us from that perspective i would say largely celebrities here um are looking at life from a short term perspective from a transactional perspective there is a lot of easy money to be had you know it's easy to get money from endorsements yep um, and it's easier to take a couple of brands on endorsement get paid uh, hold the pack in front of the camera uh, do your bit for a day for the shoot and move on in life wow. so i think there are a smaller group among them who have realized the value that you can potentially create in the long term by either investing or co-creating a brand it's also because i think this there is a new crop of celebrities who are smart who are exposed to the world 
who come to the US, they, they see Fenty, they see, uh, you know, they see uh, Goop and they say, hey, there is an opportunity here. There is, you know, why can't we do something like this? Yeah. I think only baby steps have been taken. I'll be honest with you, we've kind of explored this for the last couple of years with very limited success uh, because at some point the celebrity realizes that when you're co-creating a brand that is investment of time, resources and personality. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, you have to stand for something, you have to stand, you have to be consistent. Uh, and then the, the question comes saying, should I be doing that? Or should I be, you know, taking the easy bucks? But why is uh, it so hard for them to take a stance and say, this is what I'll stand for? Because we've seen that with athletes across the globe, right? We've seen that with celebrities across the globe saying, sustainability focused. I'm going to be vegan. I'm going to be thinking about the environment. I'm going to be thinking about so on and so forth. Like even Sebastian Vettel over the F1 Grand Prix like two days ago, which took place in uh, in uh, London, he was out there after the race, after a grueling three-hour race, going and picking up dirt that the fans had left behind in the stands to basically help out the staff in cleaning the entire race course. Now, people accused Aston Martin of being using this as a marketing gimmick but he's actually someone who stands for it. So if you know Sebastian Vettel, you know that he stands for that. But why is it so hard for Indian celebrities to take a stance? I think it will happen. I think it's just, we are just in the early days. Okay. Uh, a lot of it is just probably because of how Bollywood and cricket, which is where most of the celebrities come from today, yeah. how it's evolved over the years. You know, I think there is a very strong agency network that gets them endorsements um, and that's additional income for them. They, you know, they all realize that their careers have a particular time limit and yeah. they have to create, uh, you know, they have to do what they can within that time limit. And this seems like a way of maximizing it. Mm-hmm. I think there is a newer crop of celebrities who are starting to think from a long-term perspective who are saying that value creation, who are getting inspired by some of the examples uh, you, you know, you spoke about. And there are fewer among them who are saying, I want to take a stance. I want to stand for something. I want to make a positive change in the world around me. Yeah. Uh, it's happening. It's happening very slowly. Uh, some of it is to do with the existing structures in the industry, you know, the kind of agency networks they work with. Uh, but I'm very hopeful, you know, we are at least in two or three different conversations right now. Uh, I'm always optimistic. I always believe that uh, it just takes one big success. Yeah. To be honest, there have not been enough celebrity owned successes in, in India. You know, being human was one big splash and one big success for a few years. But the company ran into some trouble. uh, And hence, you know, it's not a great example today. Uh, But there are not enough successes of this working. Um, And, you know, in life, all it takes is one success uh, just for 10 other people to say, hey, I want to do the same thing. But I want to do it in my way, in my style. And I would like to believe that, you know, as spring... Uh, that first success will come from us. So yeah. uh, maybe next year, same time we speak, I'll have a couple of examples of uh, brands that we might have co-created. I would love nothing more to like delve a little more deeper into, into that subject. Mm. Because what is really interesting for me is celebrities like Will Smith and now you've got um, chain smokers. All of the celebrities from the Western part of the world are getting a, uh, an insight into what's happening in India. And they are very interested in getting involved. They're bringing their international brands and making it a little more domestic. 
and therefore the appetite is coming do you think perhaps at some some level looking at this as we've always done we've always been inspired by the west in culture in lifestyle with tech do you think that's also going to trickle down to like investing i think i think so i think already like all the celebrities i speak to they are inspired by these examples yeah um like i said you know i think the climate is right uh, these folks are all inspired by them it's not as if they don't have their heads and hearts in the right place yeah uh, many of them are you know wanting to do something positive have a positive impact in the world around them they would like to use their fan following towards a better cause so it's i think it's just a matter of time and uh, there could also be like you and i have discussed that could potentially be a collaboration opportunity Yeah. Uh, because some of these celebrities are also friends with uh, some of the celebrities in the west yeah uh, so maybe it's, it can be a collaboration opportunity it can be something that both sides can learn from each other um like i said i am super optimistic that in a few months in a year from now uh, the landscape will look different i'm very excited about that that's a great note to end the episode on because you and i have discussed about this and i'm very excited about what the future holds especially from this perspective and there's a lot of great work that you guys can actually do in this space and hopefully at some point we can collaborate on uh, the discussion oh, we're having absolutely well thank you so much again raja for being on the episode um really really happy that we made this happen 50th was a great landmark to have you on and we've learned a whole lot about how spring operates what is the vision and more importantly how difficult it is to run such a unique structure in a diverse market like india and i hope most of the listeners have also gotten some different insight as opposed to some of the other episodes that you've been on on other podcasts super thank you very much akash thanks for having me and uh, look forward to seeing you in uh, in california very soon uh, sitting out, sitting in one of the lovely outdoor cafes uh, hopefully your country will start allowing us it soon Um, thank you really appreciate thank you had a great time thank you very much well that brings us to the end of an amazing episode our 50th i'm so glad you all stayed all the way towards the end it really means a lot and more importantly i hope you had some great takeaways from that episode he was indeed very insightful about the foundations that spring marketing capital was built on and why there is a massive need in the industry right now for a firm like theirs thank you once again raja for being on the podcast I had a lot of fun. And if you're like me and you enjoyed that episode, please go ahead and rate and subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcasting platform. And as I previously mentioned, we're just getting started. 50 is just the beginning for us, so make sure you tune back in again next week. We've got some fantastic guests lined up. And before I sign off this week, I want to take a moment again to thank each and every one of you for making this landmark episode happen. Please continue to provide your feedback. and i will continue to bring in some great guests and we will discuss and dissect the indian vc industry in greater detail in the coming months until then stay safe and continue to keep hustling everyone